Well, it's good to be back from some vacation time, and good to be back sharing God's Word with you today. As I shared in our newsletter this week, which I'm going to share it again because I know, like, maybe Lee and a couple other people actually read it. Um, And so, (laughs) but in his book, Six Hours, One Friday, pastor and author Max Licato tells the story of how he and his boat survived a hurricane. An old seaman gave Max some advice to take his boat to the deep water, drop four anchors in each corner of the boat, and pray that the anchors held. Max ended up surviving the storm, but he says that he learned an important lesson that day. All of us need an anchor that will hold during the storms of life. It's very true. And that's really what the book of 1 Peter is about. Let me encourage you to turn there... Uh, verse Peter, or First Peter, chapter one, ver, uh, verse one. Peter is really writing on this very issue. Now, when we're talking about the storms of life here in the context of First Peter, we're really talking about the storms of life specifically for the Christian. Peter, probably as much as any author in the Bible, is very blunt about what Christians should expect in the Christian life. When you turn on the television set and you see preachers constantly saying that the Christian life is one of overwhelming abundance physically. Everything you can imagine will be yours as a Christian, monetarily, health, uh, friendships, all these things could not be further from the truth of God's word, especially the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter says, guys, if you want sort of, you know, uh, sunshine and roses for the rest of your life, you should probably stay away from Jesus. Because to be in Christ is to identify with him in his suffering. To be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus. They hated him, and chances are you will experience difficulty in the Christian life in some way. And so when those difficulties come, they should not be unexpected. And when they come, we better have an answer. We better be rooted so that we don't fall apart. We better be rooted so when the hurricanes of life, the hurricanes of the Christian life come, we don't just break apart and float away. That's what 1 Peter is going to address. 1 Peter shows us that Jesus provides us both the model and the inspiration for responding to every suffering in this life. And so turn there, if you would, page 1014 in your pew Bible. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. I've already given you some context, and so let me now read the entire passage. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect, basically Christians chosen by God, exiles of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, basically cleansing. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, uh, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know now, or uh, do, <laughs> though you do not now see him, excuse me, you believe in him and, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, ob- obtaining the outcome of your faith and salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets... The Old Testament, who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. We see this most fully in the book of Isaiah. It It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In other words, they were speaking to you. That word was for you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. I know there's a lot there, okay? I'm going to try to condense it into four points this morning. And here's really my goal. As we walk through this passage today, I want you to ask yourself one question. That, that I think the text actually answers for us. Here's the question. How can I, if I claim to be a Christian, how can I live with hope and joy in the midst of difficult days? They are either here in your life or they are coming. If you truly belong to Jesus. So how can you and I live with hope and joy rather than despair and discouragement? In the midst of difficult days. I think the text answers that in four ways for us. Number one. How do I do this? Number one. Remember your true identity. Remember your true identity. The surprise here is who Peter applies this language to. He uses identity language all throughout the first two verses. Remember Peter was one of the slow ones to understand. That the gospel was actually for more than just the Israelites. Though the Israelites in the Old Testament were God's chosen people. Peter was a little slow to come around to the fact that, oh yeah, by the way, the gospel is actually for more than just those chosen people. As Peter talks about chosen, elect here, we see some different language. In the Old Testament, the language of chosenness was always applied to Israel. We see a glimpse of this in Leviticus when God is promising a blessing to Israel. Here Peter applies this language of elect, chosenness, God's people, to people outside of Israel. It's important for us to understand that if you are a Christian, your identity is not in your race, your nationality, your economic status. None of that has anything to do with your actual identity. Our identity is in Christ. Our identity is other worldly 
Your identity has nothing to do with how great you are, what you can earn, what your, accomplishes, uh, what your accomplishments are. None of that has anything to do with, with establishing your identity. Your identity is established by grace through faith in Christ. No matter what everyone else sees us as or labels us as. We have a family, the family of God, as the children of God that we belong to for all of eternity. That is our identity. That is your identity. And our identity cannot be taken away. It's not fluid. It's static. It's secured for us by God the Father through Christ's work and is guaranteed for us by the Holy Spirit of God. You got the whole Trinity working together in establishing and preserving your identity. You can't get any more ironclad than that. Peter here uses some descriptions about Christians. Chosen by the Father. Elect exiles, verse 1. Chosen according to God's foreknowledge, verse 2. Made holy or sanctified by the Spirit, verse 2. Cleansed by the blood of Jesus, verse 2. In summary, here's what Peter is saying about the identity of every Christian. Through the blood of Jesus, the Christian, chosen by God's grace, is cleansed from sin, set apart for his service, and is called to obedience in Christ. That is our identity. And friends, what's the takeaway here, okay? How do I, like, what does this mean for my life? Here's what it means. You should be different. You know, some, you know, for, some of, you know for some of us, we have this, this difficulty in life because we have sort of a hard time fitting in at, some, at certain times. People look at us a different way, and that hurts us, and, and we wonder, you know, who am I? What am I really doing? Listen, you should look different. When you become a restored child of God by his grace through repentance and faith, he changes your identity. It is new in Christ. It is otherworldly. You are not a citizen first and foremost of this world, but a citizen of the kingdom of God. You're supposed to look weird. Spiritually speaking, what does Scripture what does Scripture actually call us? Aliens. Spiritually speaking, you and I, friends, are E.T. In fact, if you're not odd to the rest of the world, it may be because your life is more in rhythm with the world than it is with God. By the way, when the Bible talks about Christians being odd, this is what it's talking about, and this is what it's not talking about. Okay? Our weirdness is not supposed to be the fact that we have our own music and dress a certain way and, and have all these, you know, this Christian subculture that we, or this Christian bubble that we never go out of. That is all external, that is all external and physical. Not what it's talking about here. What is the weirdness, the alien, the difference? It's Christ-likeness. It's Christ-likeness. Why should you look different to the world because you look like Jesus and the rest of the world doesn't? You act like Jesus and the rest of the world doesn't. You're heavenly minded while everyone else is earthly minded. 
You're storing up treasures in heaven while everybody else is trying to fill their silos here on earth. And you're walking in obedience to God's standards, not to your own. That is how you look weird. And if you feel a little bit weird, it's because this place is not your eternal home. And that's okay. If you face trials and tribulation because you're standing up for Jesus, remember your identity. This is supposed to happen. It happened to Jesus. And if you follow him, this is the life. Remember your identity in Christ. Cling to it. Embrace it. In the midst of difficult days. Number two, be mindful of your full inheritance. I love verses three through five. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to what? To despair and, and desperation? No, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Friends, our, our inheritance, our salvation in Christ is something that does not perish, cannot be spoiled, cannot be defiled, and can never fade. That's a pretty sweet inheritance. Our inheritance is spiritual. It's not physical. It can't decay. It can't lose value. It is eternal. It's not like houses and cars that fade, break, and ruin. This inheritance is permanent. Let's unpack this just a little bit. Our inheritance is reserved for us in heaven. This is one of my favorite images in Scripture because reservations have come to mean nothing today, right? I can't tell you how many times I have gone to a rental car place after I have made a reservation. And you, and you know what they tell me? I'm sorry, sir, but we don't have any cars. I made a reservation. There's even a Seinfeld episode on this. I don't know if you've, if you've ever seen it. The reservation is supposed to keep the car there. How can you tell me you don't have any cars? I make the reservation for a restaurant. I get there, and I'm on a 20-minute waiting list. Reservations in, in like earthly standards really don't mean a lot. We went on vacation and had a reservation that they accidentally canceled, and so we had no rooms when we got there this year. Reservations in earthly forms don't mean a whole lot. Thankfully, reservations with God are ironclad. You are reserved in heaven. Scripture talks about your reservation in heaven as if you are already there. Praise God. That my reservation, my reservation with King Jesus is ironclad. It's as if I'm sitting next to him in eternity right now. It's pretty sweet, isn't it? That is your inheritance. When times get tough, remember that. Don't focus on this. The inheritance is also unfading. What does that mean? It means literally it never goes out of style. A lot of things go out of style. Even when I look at pictures of clothes I wore 20 years ago, I'm horrified. Some of you that grew up in the, 
in the 70s with your long hair and bell bottoms and platform shoes, right? My dad has an awesome picture of that. He thought he was like coolest in B. He looks ridiculous. These are fads. They go out of style. Friends, by the time you pick up the newest iPhone, it's out of style, right? Aren't you glad that your inheritance never goes out of style? It is as sweet, as awesome, as wonderful today as it ever will be, and it has ever been. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus never goes out of style. Your salvation never, ever goes out of style. It never fades. That is your inheritance. And so, friends, when times get difficult, think about that. Cling to that. Salivate over that. And all of a sudden, all of this is a little bit more bearable. Not only this, but we are guarded by God's power through faith for salvation to be revealed in the end. No one can strip you of your salvation. The book of John, the apostle John says that no one can pluck you out of the Father's hand. One of my son, uh, Nathan, who just turned six, he's all about superheroes. And right now, he's all about the powerful superheroes, so he loves the Hulk. You know, he goes around the house, you know, punching things, saying, Hulk smash, Right? This is better than Hulk. Your salvation, your eternal home, is literally being guarded by the maker of the universe. The text says, by the power of God himself. You don't have to question your salvation. Unlike the rest of the world, you don't have to worry about your eternal state. It's being guarded by God himself. Friends, that should bring us joy. That should bring us, as Scripture says, a peace that passes all understanding. That should bring us hope in the midst of despair. How do I live in difficult days if my mind is on eternity and off of the here and now? Friends, you've got an inheritance. Way better than anything you can have here. Number three, stand firm in your faith. How do you live with joy and hope in the midst of difficult days as you dig in in your faith. You have a faith that is tested, tried, and true, and is truly anchored in the Lord Jesus himself. God allows trial to purify faith in you. Peter says it's like gold tested by fire. Friends, trials reveal those places in your heart and mind where you really don't trust God. It's in those moments that your faith are really tested. See, for a lot of us, we got this wrong thinking that when trial hits, we think this. God, you must have forgotten about me. It's not the case. If you read scripture, for those who are tested as believers, that is not the case. It is not built, that kind of thinking is not godly. It's not from the word of God. A severe trial is sometimes like an acid test. This term originated during times when gold was widely circulated. Nitric acid was applied to an object of gold to see if it was genuine or not. If it was fake, the acid decomposed it. If it was genuine, the gold was unaffected. In God's view, our faith is more precious than gold, as Peter says. And it too must be tested. It must be purified. How do you, how do you get the impurities off of gold? You literally put it into the fire, and those impurities are burnt off. How does God remove 
the impurities of our faith and our hearts and our minds, he puts us through the fire. But here's the good part about that. God is not an arsonist. He's not doing it to burn you up. He's a refiner. He does it to refine you. To make you more pure. More into the image of his son Jesus. God is not an arsonist. He is a refiner with your faith. Faith untried may be true faith. But if it's never tried, it is sure to be untested and little faith. As we stand firm in our faith, as God tests and refines our faith, and joy grows as a result as we come to see his purposes and his love for us more clearly. Some of my most joyous moments was when God sustained me and my family in, in our deepest, darkest times. Because, because it's there you realize you can only get through this because of what Jesus has done. Trial produces faith and produces joy. Then number four. And how do we do that? How do we stand firm in our faith? What nourishes our faith in such a way so that we can live out our new identity and hold on to the new hope of our inheritance? Well, verses 10 through 12 tell us that. Number four. Through intaking the truths and promises of God's word. How do I stand firm in my faith? Or, you may be here this morning and not very close with God. Yeah, you're a Christian, but you're not in his word. You're not in prayer. And trial hits, and you wonder why you are shaken. And it is as if somebody has just pulled the rug out from under you. Well, verses 10 through 12 tell us why. It says you're not in God's word. You're not in tune with God. You're not constantly meditating on and reading and be reminded of the promises of God. You don't fully understand your inheritance because you haven't read about it through his inspired word. Peter tells us that the prophets, this is really shorthand, the prophets, uh, the law and prophets was really shorthand for the Old Testament that the church had at that point. He said that the prophets wrote for our sake. They were divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit in a way that no other authors have been inspired. The Holy Spirit directed the writing of the scriptures literally to strengthen your faith and instruct you in who God is and what he wants for your life. How do you stand firm in your faith, friends? Let me encourage you to immerse yourself in the things of God. Immerse yourself in prayer and communion with God. Immerse yourself in his word. Regular exposure to the great story of what Jesus has done for us. How we should respond to that story is at the heart of what our devotional life should be. The Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures and uses them in a special way to speak to our hearts, to calm our hearts and minds, to instruct our hearts and minds, especially in the difficulties of life. Friends, trials will come. When they come, make sure you are feasting on the word of God and communicating with him in prayer. Nothing else will help you stand. If you're rooted in anything but faith in Jesus, if you're rooted in anything but his word and communion with him, 
If you are dependent on anything outside of that, friends, I promise you, you will crumble under the pressures of the Christian life. Verse 12, Peter literally says that the angels desire to look into these things. Can you imagine that? Now, now what exactly is he saying? Commentators are all over the place on this. Here's what I think he's saying, okay? Angels are literally leaning over the rim of heaven looking down. They have seen what God did through the prophets. They saw what God did through his son Jesus in paying for our sins. The angels saw Lucifer, Satan, be kicked out of heaven. They saw the resurrection of Christ. They saw the dead raised. They, they saw the Red Seas parted. But what they desire to see now is what God is doing in the here and now. They desire to see the story of God in us unfolded. And so they are literally watching what God is doing in our lives and how the people of God respond. And they watch with anticipation. Friends, if you want to wonder just how good you have it in Christ, just how incredible your inheritance is, think about this. The angels who are literally sitting next to the Father in heaven are literally chomping at the bit to watch how God is working in our lives. Think about that. Let that sustain you in the midst of difficult days. Friends, when you understand what God has done and is doing and will do spiritually in your life and in all of eternity, all of a sudden, difficult days change, don't they? One of my favorite books, I know it is long, I know it is difficult to read, but it's called The Pilgrim's Progress. Written by John Bunyan, a Puritan who was jailed. If you have not read or actually, I recommend, this might be one you want to listen to in audiobook in, in like some updated language, okay? But it is fantastic. John Bunyan was a Puritan who was jailed for his beliefs. And he wrote a fantasy story, a tale of a young man on a pilgrimage through life. The Puritans had this wonderful understanding, far better than we do, that life is a pilgrimage. It is not a place of eternal settlement. We're only here for a short time. We are strangers or aliens here on earth. Our eternal home is in heaven. Our identity is in Christ. Our inheritance is in Christ and in heaven to come. But friends, the problem is we want to settle here. We want to settle in the mud of life and eat Taco Bell when God promises us steak in eternity. Over the next two, two months as we explore the book of 1 Peter, we'll explore what it means to live in Christ in the midst of all sorts of difficult days and in, in a relationship with all different kinds of people and all different entities. How do we live as Christ in a difficult world? I, I hope you would come on this journey with me over the next two months. I think we're going to have a great summer in God's word. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for your word this morning. I ask that uh, you would uh, bless this remaining time of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.